Hi! We are doing a quick segment about Dark Mouse, The Climb and Other Tales, a project currently on Kickstarter that is going to end on May 5th. It is a wonderful story created by Nathaniel Osoyo, and he's poured a lot of love into this book. It is Dark Mouse, The Climb and Other Tales on Kickstarter. It's also under projects we love on Kickstarter, so usually on the front of the Kickstarter page. Congratulations to Nathaniel! Hey there, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper Podcast. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the strip clubs and all of the amazing things that strippers do. And of course, we'll talk about all of the things in between. I'm your queen, A.M. Davies, and this is Yes, a Stripper Podcast. Hi everyone, AMD here, back in your earballs. What's up? Um, I just got done recording an episode with an old friend and colleague of mine, Monet. And uh, she and I used to go to pole conventions and pole expos, pole dancing, pole dancing, pole dancing, all that stuff. And that's how we met each other. And um, we reconnected recently and um, had a conversation and uh, agreed that, you know, she should be on the show. And so here she is. Uh, Monet is an activist. Monet is a hairstylist. Monet is a burlesque dancer. And um, she's absolutely wonderful. She's one of the most epic performers I've ever seen on stage. Um, she always stood out with um, her performance style and, and wasn't afraid to uh, express herself differently than the rest of the pole community, which can um, be kind of stale at times. And Monet just has such a an amazing energy on stage and um, would do like drop splits and make the whole crowd just go like, Wah! so um, I do remember her performances fondly and vividly. So it was really great getting to reconnect with her again and have this conversation. Um, this is a conversation that we've never had before. We've never had an opportunity to talk the way we have on this show. So reconnecting with Monet has um, reminded me of all of the friends out there that I've accumulated over the years through the pole dance community, through the stripping community, and um, just from living life and how much I really miss a lot of people and um, how, you know, I've been thinking about just reaching out to people that I haven't spoken to in a while and just seeing how they're doing. Um, you know, the world is going through something and it has been for a long time. And I'm realizing now more than ever, how important it is to stay connected to each other, to people we care about, people we love, and even, you know, reconnecting with people that, you know, you might've had beef with in the past and seeing if there's ways to squash that or ways to sort of overcome that. Um, because I really do think that, um, being connected with each other and realizing each other's humanity and having empathy for each other in all different ways, no matter who we are or how we feel about each other is really, really, really important to the healing that needs to be done on this planet. And so it was just such an honor to reconnect with someone who I admire always have. And, um, I hope that you are listening with an open heart and open mind as usual, and that you will enjoy this interview with Monet. Okay, everyone, I'm here with Monet, an old friend of mine that I used to stomp around with at pole events back in the day. Um, we're going to introduce you to Monet in just one second. I wanted to remind you and also thank you for those donations that you've been sending in to Yes or Stripper podcast, which pay hosts and guests to be here and spend their time doing this show to give you all of these amazing stories, information, and content. So if you haven't donated then please go to paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. And if you have donated, thank you so much. And will you donate more, sir or madam or person? <laughs> um, so that again is paypal.me paypal .me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. Thank you so much. Let's introduce everyone to Monet. Hello. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I am excellent today. Despite the craziness of the world, I'm feeling okay today. How are you feeling? Um, you know, it's, we're coming off a very, a traumatic time for pretty much all of us. And it seems like it's escalating a little bit. Like, um, it's hard to fathom, you know, the conflicts that's going on. Um, in addition to still having COVID as a concern and a problem. Yeah. Um, and the fallout from that, from businesses closing, loss of employees, um, loss of venues, all of that affects, especially as like artists and performers. Mm. Um, it's been, it's been a rough few years. Yeah. I hear that. I really want to get into all of the things that you experienced during the pandemic and even before that. And, um, but before we get fully started, can you please tell us what your pronouns are? She, her, and May Queen. May Queen? Yeah. From Midsummer. It's like, my favorite movie. Okay. I've never heard it. I don't think I've seen that movie. So I guess I need to watch that. Um, it's a pretty intense film. If you have been in a relationship with anybody who's ever gaslighted you or been emotionally unavailable, it is like yeah. the perfect film. It's cathartic for me. Like it's, it's one of those, like for, especially for those who are femme women identifying, like very kind of, I feel empowering. Yeah. Um, it's a folk horror film. Okay. I call it my favorite rom-com. Okay. I need to watch this. I'm always looking for things to add to the list. So it's on there. I don't know anyone that hasn't been gaslit. So it's probably a good watch. Yeah. 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 So, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your background and like what your career style is and how you got started in, um, it's burlesque dancing and other various creative arts. Um, so basically when I was 18, I wanted to be a stripper, but I wound up working at Chuck E. Cheese instead. Fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was Chuck E. Cheese, but I choreographed our dances that we did for like birthday parties. Yeah. <laughs> you were Chuck E. Cheese? I was I was Chuck E. Cheese. Um, amazing. People would re- request me to be their Chuck E because I was very good at it. I was very energetic. I was all about it. I loved it. If I could actually get hired just to be Chuck E. Cheese, I would probably do it just for fun. Uh, so that kind of derailed me and I did, you know, the normal, like responsible, uh, call center job type situation. And then when I was turning 30, I saw an ad on Craigslist of a burlesque troupe that was forming where I live, uh, Sacramento, California. And I responded to the ad and I decided to say like, I'm finally going to do it. So, um, I'm turning 44 this year. So I'm coming up on 14 years of burlesque performing, uh, when I turned 30, I also discovered pole dancing and I mm-hmm. taught pole for like about six years. Um, and there was a time where when I got with pole, I kind of abandoned burlesque a little bit. I had a little bit of the element when I taught or performed, but I focused more on pole. And then as I started leaving pole, I focused more on burlesque. And now I'm mainly just burlesque, even though I'm still adjacent to the pole community with mm-hmm. my burlesque performing and dancing. Mm-hmm. And sadly, my pole had been up in my living room since 2008, but logistically, I finally had to take it down. Dang. So it had been up for a very long time. That's a long time in one place. Was it a tension pole in one place? It was a for tension mounted pole. Wow. Yeah. It wow. took a little bit of uh, getting some help to get it the uh, part in the piece in the ceiling to come off because sure. that part was just like stuck. But yeah, yeah. it was a tension mounted pole that was up from 2008 to the end of 2021. That is intense. How, how does that feel? Do you miss it? Do you feel like it's like, like it's still there, even though it's not kind of thing? Yeah. It's, it's weird. Cause I'm like looking at it in the corner over there. Um, it's, it's a weird feeling. Cause like there's still the imprint on the carpet from it. Mm. there's still like the little part on the ceiling from it Mm. like I still have memories and it's weird to like walk where it was yeah Uh, the cats had to adjust to it as well because the cats like to roll up on the pole um (laughs) but uh yeah it's kind of a weird thing and it's 
it's kind of like almost saying goodbye to that part of my life finally. Yeah. Um, I miss it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hope to get back to it one day, but like logistically with like moving the furniture and stuff, I just need to find a, a space for it. Yeah. I, I, that must be a weird feeling, but so you do have plans of putting it back up then eventually somewhere. I do have plans mm-hmm. eventually if I have enough room. Um, Cause like, I'm going to admit I am a hoarder. I have a lot of stuff. And I went from getting rid of my couches to putting my bed in the living room, which is why I had to get rid of the pole. Mm-hmm. The pole was in the living room. And now the bed is bigger. Than gotcha. The couch. Yeah. And so if I can clear out some more space somewhere, you know, I, 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 it's, I'm hoping it's not a permanent thing. Like I'm hoping <laughs> like eventually that I can like bring my pole back up. Cause I actually have two poles. I have two tension mounted poles. One oh. that I would take when I would teach home parties and then my personal, and I also have pole silks too. And so I kind of, wow. I kind of miss, you know, that aspect of like doing pole classes with people. Um, but also with COVID, I'm like weary of any type of indoor gym, sweating, sure. breathing activity. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I get that. I, yeah, I, I could get, I like, I don't want to go to a gym. Like we were going to plant, we went to planet fitness like two or three times. And I'm like, I just can't, it's, it's gross. Like it's not gross. I feel I shouldn't say that. It just felt not good inside. Not comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. Um, you know, I remember how we met was at probably a pole convention or some large pole gathering. Um, that's how I have a lot of friends that I do around the world, which you're probably the same as me. We have Mm -hmm. hundreds of friends around the world from pole dancing. Um, when I remember seeing you perform, I've seen you perform several times and I always really appreciated that, um, you weren't doing crazy pole tricks. You were doing like, like energetic, wild, entertaining performances where you had like way more costume, uh, aesthetic than everybody else there. And you were just so different from everyone else in your style of performance. And that is something I really appreciated because I get tired of seeing (laughs) inverts and just like not impressed by that anymore. And so I really did enjoy that aspect. And do you think that, um, because you had a background in burlesque and performing, like, that you carried that over into pole and just took it to a different level because of your uh, other experiences before pole dancing? Most definitely. Um, in high school, I was also like, my marching band was like modeled like the black marching bands from the South, um, like the HBCUs. Um, and how they would have the dancers in front of the band and stuff. I was like lead one of those in high school too. So I kind of always kind of had like used to performing a little bit because we perform on halftime and there's like hundreds of people in the stands. Um, For me, when I was doing pole, because I knew that my strength wasn't going to come from like aerial tricks. Like that's not the way that I pole Um, body wise, like limited, uh, and also a little scared. Like it took me two years to invert. Mm. I focused a lot on spins and transitions and floor work because when we're looking at pole as a performance, when anybody's performing anything on any stage, you want it to be like a moving picture and not like a still picture. And so when you're performing on the pole, you want to make sure you're utilizing all areas of the pole, but also like the floor and using everything around you. Because if you're just stuck on being on the top of the pole, like I start to get tired because they're only focusing on one thing and you're not utilizing your whole performance space for movement. Mm -hmm. So for me, I always kind of focused on, because I feel like a pretty spin can just be as entertaining as an aerial invert. Mm -hmm. Or if you do like dancing and choreography, um, setting like the tone, having a theme, and a cohesive act and routine rather than try to show off every trick that you've ever learned in your pole classes and your act. So I kind of tried to bring that um, when we would have like showcases at the studio that I taught at, 
and, you know, help students cultivate their routines and be like, you know what, if you have really like three big tricks and then have a lot of transitions and spins in between there, it's going to make your tricks look even greater. Yeah. Because there, people aren't going to be overloaded or overwhelmed with it. It gives them a time to like breathe and reset and be mm-hmm. like excited for the next thing that you're going to pull out of your bag. Yeah. Um, so that was mainly my thing. And a, a lot of things too, when you think about pole, the pole performance itself is kind of introverted. Okay. If you think about it because you're concentrating and making those contact points with the pole. Right. That a lot of times you're not connecting with the audience the same way than mm-hmm. if you're doing some other type of dancing. I get that. that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I never really looked at it that way. And I totally, and that makes sense of why I can get bored pretty quickly watching pull trick, pull trick, pull trick, pull trick, because I've, I want the performer to connect with, with the audience who is me at, if I'm in the audience. And um, yes, I just never heard it explained that way, but that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's pole is a very much, if you think about it, kind of an introverted, like dance sport exercise. Because yeah. you have to concentrate on making those contact points with the pole. So for safety. Yeah. So you don't, so you don't hurt yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I get that. Um, so what, you know, what are, it, you know, within the pole community, um, what are some of the good and not so good things that you've come up against during your career? Um, I will say that the pole community and off some ways, like burlesque is still behind on it as well. But like cultural appropriation mm. is kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand like loving the aesthetic of something from another culture because it's beautiful and you can appreciate it. But once you take it and you're making money off of it and mm-hmm. commodifying it as your own, it kind of becomes like a problem. Um, yeah. As a black woman, like I'm used to things that we get dissed for or downed upon than being elevated and praised when somebody not black does it. It has been seen from nail art to earrings to like hair extensions to like all all kinds of things. Um, Colorful hair, like a black girl wearing colorful hair would be called ghetto, but then somebody else who's not black who has colorful hair would be called like edgy and things like that. So it's like, um, in the pole world, I noticed like some people are still like appropriating, um, cultures and then like somewhat like anti-blackness that comes with things. Like we should be more conscious of songs like that have the N word because songs that have the N word are speaking from a black experience. And if you're not black, you shouldn't be dancing right through those songs right um and fat phobia like there's really a small limited number of pole dancers instructors performers that are plus size that people know about Mm -hmm. um and you know you can still be strong and athletic and do all those same things being fabulously body wealthy like myself. But when we look at how pole wear is um, made and manufactured, like most of the pole wear, like barely any, I mean, it's gotten better, mm-hmm. but it's still hard to find those sizes for those of us who are like really plus size. Mm-hmm. Um that fit us well, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so there, you know, a lot of things like just, you know, fat phobia in general in the clothing industry, it's hard to find things that doesn't make us look like a box. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have, you know, I've been in the pole industry for since 2007 and I, you know, do have noticed over time cause it, I was dealing with my own whiteness and my own blind shit on and not, you know, I'm white. So I wasn't as in tune with these issues as I am now. But when I look back on it, what it was, what it was later and what it is now, it still continues to cater to white, thin, able-bodied 
people in general. And it is an industry-wide issue. Um, not to say that there aren't people out there doing making that have made changes, et cetera, but it still does feel to me um, like there are these issues. And like you said, cultural appropriation, especially um, with black culture and stripper culture, which the first strippers were black and everything that white strippers have learned throughout history, we learned or stole from black strippers or people of color strippers. And, um, you know, the use of the word exotic, all of these things, it's still perpetuated, um, in that industry. And so, you know, I just, I, I find it frustrating and I, and I can't even imagine what it, it feels like for other people who are, are different than me, you know? And, um, so I, I appreciate this, this share, uh, and I think it's important for, I hope pull community people listen to this podcast because I think it's important for them to hear this. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much like certain things that people take from here, like, oh, I like a bindi, so I'm going to wear that during my pole dancing act or something, or even something like Day of the Dead, which is very cultural, mm. you know, mm. makeup like that when people want to do like their spooky or Halloween. Actually, we don't want to say spooky. I take that back. The origins of that word. When we do spoopy acts or anything Halloween themed, then people want to merge that with like the Day of the Dead and all that mm-hmm. things like that. And if you're not of that culture, it can be seen as very disrespectful. Right. Um, and that's another thing too. Like I appreciate things. Like I had my own little hiccup. Like I had found a mariachi suit at a thrift store for like $9.99 and I put it on I took a picture of me putting it on and posted on Instagram and then I got you know some people said that maybe you know and I was like for me I was looking at it as with my size and my measurements like this is something that fits me like I don't I can't find things that fit me Mm -hmm. but you know on the side of that it's a mariachi suit it's not mine to right wear because that's not my culture Um, so things like that, like we can all sometimes be guilty of it, but we can also then correct that and make the change and do better knowing better going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I still haven't seen that after like many people have brought these things up. I just, I haven't personally seen enough of change or, uh, action towards these particular issues is this something that you have been vocal about publicly or spoken to people about, about these issues and, and how they're oh. problematic? <laughs> I am known for being outspoken. Uh, people may dislike me because of that. I mean, yeah. part of my tagline is hairstylist by day, burlesque by night, activists all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, I use my voice for those who may not feel like they can use theirs. And I, as somebody who's been like bullied and traumatized and victimized and abused, I speak out now because I had wished that somebody had done the same for me. Mm -hmm. And so I try to use my voice to point out things um, that just aren't right. And, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times us whistleblowers get vilified for it. Um, I'm used to it, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the poll community has been very <sighs> divisive, especially with like politics that have happened within the last few years. Um, that's been like another eye-opening thing to see people in the community because like here they are doing this thing that is like essentially still like taboo and seen negatively by a lot of the world, like people who are ignorant to like what pole dancing is or like sex work or anything like that and think that we're lesser than because we do that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But to see them also then align themselves with oppressors and engage Mm -hmm. in oppressive oppressive behavior. Um, The last few years, you know, a lot of people have come out and felt emboldened about some of their beliefs and ideals and 
we've seen that across the board from a lot of poll industry leaders and members and stuff. And it's, it's interesting because like, I feel like the world as a whole, like in whatever pockets of fandoms or activities or hobbies or even work or whatever you're in, these last few years has really been like the spotlight that like exposed a lot of what I'll say cockroaches that when you turn on the light, then you see them and you didn't see them before. And I think Mm. that in order to know better and do better going forward, a lot of people need to really ask themselves, like, is this instructor aligning with how I feel morally and ethically? Is a studio like inclusive? Is this a safe space? Are we creating safe spaces? Are we recognizing that people aren't just men or women? Are we recognizing people on the spectrum? Are we, rec- are we welcoming transgender people into our classes? You know, things like that. Um, it's just been real interesting to see, like, kind of a shift of things somewhat of like pull because of what's going on in the outside world and how that's trickled down and affected everything. Yeah. I mean, I think that those people who are excluding others or discriminating or, or, you know, oppressive or not inclusive, all of those things, I mean, they exist everywhere, right? Everywhere. And I think like, you know, what you said, you turn the light on and all of a sudden you see them when you didn't see them before. I think that for a while, especially in the beginning of poll, we were also like jazzed about doing this really awesome thing with each other that, um, it wasn't, we weren't really digging and looking at what was really going on. And I'm sure that there were people that were, and we just weren't listening you know, there were so many of us not, not listening. And, um, I think that the pandemic has really helped us all see like what these issues are and like, Oh, there have been people yelling about this for a while. Like it's time to start listening. Yeah. Um, I mean, the pandemic did a lot for, you know, people, we're starting to teach online too. There was that whole like shift to doing things virtually. Um, I'm a person that I can't learn that way. Like I have to like learn in person, but for those that have been able to learn and continue on their journey and growth that way, that is amazing. Like I produce shows during the pandemic virtually, but when it comes for like a learning aspect, like I am not, the best on trying I can't learn anything from like YouTube or videos or I'm just not good with that yeah, I mean yeah. I have a lot of DVDs and I, I tried for that for a while but I'm one of those people that I have to like learn in person yeah yeah I get that yeah I am very similar so I totally get that learning style so what was um what was the pandemic experience like for you? What were some things that you did or some, you know, things that you kind of realized for yourself and your community during that time where we were all on lockdown? For one, I'm one of the rare people that actually misses lockdown. <laughs> um I feel like maybe I took it for granted more than what it was cuz it was like I was lucky to get unemployment and that extra unemployment that was happening for a while. So that helped me financially, but it was, everybody was kind of in the same boat and I'd been working since I was 16. And, you know, finally I'm like, I don't have to work. And it was nice. Cause I was go, go, go all the time. Like I was doing burlesque festivals and flying out of state and doing this, that, and the other. And it was just, you know, a time just to, not do anything and sleep till like four o'clock or whatever. And nobody cared. (laughs) I, you know, to have a sense of community, I hosted Monday movie nights with me on zoom. So like a group of us would watch movies on Mondays together, um, produced pandemic shows, you know, setting up like watch parties with people just to watch like 
Beverly Hills 90210, like a friend from Canada. They had never seen 90210. So I'm like, <laughs> you're going to love this show. And we started watching 90210 together on Zoom. Um, that kind of stuff like brought people together. Like I kind of, I miss that part of the pandemic. And also as burlesque performers and other performers like drag artists and pole performers, the videography skills that was gained during the pandemic in order to make your art go across this medium during this time was a skill that should still be utilized. And what virtual shows did was make things accessible. So Mm -hmm. you were able to have a performer from like the East coast, if you're on the West coast in your show or have performers who have, you know, disabilities in your show and it was accessible for everybody. And I'm kind of sad that people have abandoned the virtual realm so quickly because things are opening up but in reality by abandoning it you're saying that accessibility doesn't matter mm. uh the skills that people have amassed doesn't matter also like a lot of places have you know vaccination um statuses in place for you to enter them but if you're not vaccinated then this is a way for those who can't get vaccinated for medical reasons uh, to be able to participate in having entertainment. Um, yeah. And also because a lot of venues also aren't accessible. So, I mean, there are so many reasons why virtual should still be part of people's radar and should still be what people do and what people support. Yeah, I saw that too. I saw a, a dramatic decline of virtual shows. Um, and I also saw sort of an abandonment of all of the things that we talked about and learned. You know, <laughs> it was like, uh, you were pro you were in the streets protesting and now you're working for a racist boss that never stood with BLM I don't get it and 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 the same as the virtual like it all it all happened at once kind of it was frustrating to see like we had an opportunity to burn stuff down and start and build it up how we needed it to be and how we wanted to see it And people just went back to those same old problematic venues, shows, performers, whatever. Yep. Like, it was like those protests were nothing. It was just like a trend or a phase for people. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they're back to, especially we just came off of Black History Month. A lot of shows that just have all white cast still, all thin cast, all cis cast like all these things that people are still like falling back into and no one's making not enough people are making the effort to better the situation for everybody and make a change. I mean, like what good was it that you you were out there protesting, but then you're still producing or performing and all white shows. Right. Well, it was just performative. Yeah. That that's what that was. Um, I mean, I don't believe in allies. I call them all lies, mm. um, because I I want accomplices, accomplices. I want people who are truly down for yeah the causes, not just like oh, it looks good to have this banner on my Facebook profile photo. Yeah, I have I have a really hard time with um, self proclaimed allies. I have a really hard time with that. And I, I personally don't use, I don't describe myself that way because it's up to the people who I'm allying with to determine whether or not that's what I am. It's not up to me to call myself an ally um, because I, I'm, what if I don't, what if I fuck up? What if I, what if I'm getting it wrong? What, how good of an ally am I? If I'm making mistakes as I'm learning, what really truly constitutes the, like, what is the definite, the defined idea of an ally? Um, and I don't know if people really know that or even ask themselves that question. And so, yeah, I I'm with you on that terminology. Um, yeah. 
yeah i i mean i'm like all lies I'm like that's what they are i'm just like i don't i don't trust a lot of people i've seen (laughs) (laughs) i've seen a lot of a lot of things in the last few years um yeah and now i'm just trying to like focus on me a little bit yeah get what i need to like function taken care of Mm -hmm. and it's it's just it's been rough yeah (laughs) like every time like especially in burlesque like there's some like new like controversy or something popping up like all the time and I'm just like I'm I'm surprised there's not a reality show (laughs) yeah um Gigi Holiday is one of our hosts here on yes a stripper podcast and she talks about some of these things at times and so I've been learning a lot from her about what's uh, just by following her and listening to her talk about what's going on in the burlesque community. And it, it does seem like, yeah, there's always something new, but if I'm not mistaken, um, there was, when burlesque was first created, there was a massive amount of, uh, cultural appropriation. And it was basically, um, you know, all like, if you're white, then it's cool. And, um, you're the superstars with all these, like, names that they shouldn't have been using and Mm -hmm. styles and dress that they should have have not been using. And I just feel like that whole industry was kind of built on whiteness and anti-blackness and racism towards many other cultures and people of color. Um, And, you know, it's been around for a really long time. So what does it take? Like how, what does it take for them to change collectively to do better? I mean, I'm just going to say that there is far too many cis, het, white men who are in positions of power in burlesque, period. Okay. And based on that, I mean, I, I had... My background here, too, is like, so I'm almost 14 years in a burlesque. I'm a multiple award-winning burlesque performer. I'm an international performer. Where I live in Sacramento, I've pretty much been the only Black burlesque performer in Sacramento during my whole entire career. So I experienced that. Mm. Um, uh, Tokenism, isolation, like I really don't have a community here, which is why I had to seek it out nationally or internationally. And I am pretty much the only one locally that's attained some of the things that I have and done the things that I have. Like I'm the only one who was actually doing virtual shows during the pandemic here. Mm. But I've had white men producers not book me and straight up say, because I'm not attractive enough. And (laughs) things like that, that I've had to deal with. And it's like, I kind of helped create the burlesque scene here because when there were events, I was doing burlesque and people, I was like a lot of times the first burlesque performer people had saw, but yet I'm not supported. Um, and it's been hard. And, and it's like, if you go to a burlesque show and you don't see anybody who looks like you, you don't think that that's a space for you to go and thrive and be in. Right. Um, and in all, in all my performing avenues, I've pretty much had been like the only black one. And it's become frustrating. So like, for me, I created like Black Arts Matter and creating like Black burlesque shows to create that space that I didn't see that was happening. And with my virtual shows, they have been, except for Extravaganza, which was for us asexual um, performers. I am a sex positive asexual person. Uh, They've all been Black shows. Mm -hmm. So it's, at this point, I feel like I go on out of spite just because I know like as long as those who subscribe to Eurocentric beauty standards Eurocentric beauty standards um thinness Mm -hmm. and things like that like are going to be in charge of like what's considered a lot of the upper echelon or main events in burlesque um and 
I mean, a shift should have happened. Like, we had the chance to make the shift during the pandemic. We did. People were okay with how things were because it benefits them. Yeah. That's how it seems. That's the hardest yeah. thing. Like, if it benefits them, people don't see it an issue until it's a problem for them. Exactly. And the world has grown so apathetic in that way on so many avenues and so many things that it shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't wait till it has to happen to you in order to feel or care or want to change or make things better. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, one of my Facebook friends who just posted that they got hired at a strip club, but was told they were too dark skin to work the later shifts because the later shifts were reserved for white and light skinned POC. Did they actually say that? What in the actual fuck? Yeah. I mean, in the strip clubs, I mean, that's been happening for like years. Yeah, I know, but usually they don't say it that say directly. It. Usually yeah. they're, usually it's more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? covert they usually don't say it straight out but that's what they mean that's what they mean every time but to just straight up say that is um i guess i don't know which do we appreciate more be direct with me about your racism or (laughs) sugarcoat it like which neither one is good or better than the other i'm just shocked that um someone said that that's um horrid yeah i mean and you know I, I know, like, too, the stripping industry is not the same as it was. I know, like, the money is not the same as it was bef- it was before. The clubs don't work the same. I mean, for me, as somebody who used to go to the club, I used to love going back in the day when you would see the girls in, like, costumes a little bit. And when they would come up to you, they would actually still be kind of clothed and ask you if you wanted to dance. But then I saw a shift where, like, they're already coming to me, like, kind of naked and asking if I want to dance. And I'm like, well why are you already naked like you know what I mean like I saw like the shift in like the culture and stuff as as a patron of the strip club how it seemed like the people who were dancing weren't taking as much like and pride or time or whatever and what they were doing in their art and their craft yeah yeah it, it totally changed well some strip club managers and I know this because I know someone who works in a club like this um where they will get fined if they do not walk the floor nude and that comes from their bosses so it's not necessarily in a in a situation like that where it's the dancer choosing it's a lot of times there's um pressure from their employer to do said thing. Um, and I'm sure that somewhere, some of them are choosing to do that. I'm not saying that that's happening everywhere, but in some cases, um, they're being pressured to wear less on the floor. Where did that shift happen? Or like what prompted this? Um, I think, yeah, I think it started happening. I'm, I'm kind of guessing based on experience and conversation, um, around like, 2018 2019 and i think a lot of the changes in the strip club specifically that thing that i'm talking about and actually all of them in general happened because the economy started to get worse um and strip club owners and managers wanted to make more money and they see the dancer as the customer and they find them, they, you have to pay to work. They take money out of their dances. If they don't sell enough drinks, they get, uh, they have to pay for them. Uh, if they don't show up for work, they have to pay for that. Like if they call out or miss a shift, they have to pay for that. Um, if they're late, they have to pay a higher house fee. And in some cases, if they're not wearing what they're supposed to wear, they get fined. So it's all just a money-making scheme from owners and managers who have seen a decline in their own profit margins due to not advertising. Um, Instead, they make the dancers advertise for them on their Instagram, on their own personal Instagram accounts and don't pay them. So they've um, 
you know, essentially line their pockets with, okay, well, we won't advertise anymore. They'll do the advertising, but that's not effective enough. And so there's not enough clientele. And then the dancers are having a more difficult time making money because there's also more competition because there's more dancers because stripping stripping became cool. And (laughs) so it's like kind of like all of these things that just have led to the progression of the, um, you know, way things are now. Um, so yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, it's, it's unfortunate. Like, um, and I miss going to the strip club. Like I used to have a good time there. They were fun. Like, they were fun. The pole studio, we would take field trips and go like watch and have like an amazing time just seeing all the girls and all that stuff. And it's definitely a different culture now than it was back then yes it's it's very different and i i mourn that loss frequently because it was a very fun and interesting exciting life um and i i wish other people could have had the experience that i did um but it's just very different now yeah yeah i mean i guess it's kind of how i feel about the band weezer because like they were really good back in like the 90s and now i'm like oh if you see them now it's not the same as when you saw them back in the day <laughs> yeah. um everything yeah. changes yeah. yeah yeah i was i was a huge weezer fan <laughs> <laughs> Want to be fabulous just like these strippers? Pay attention. It's stripper tips. Stripper tip. Always cut the tags. Cut the tags Ah. on what you are wearing so you don't see them and you don't see them while you're performing. Um, A lot of people forget to do that. Cut the tags. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's like your tag is out when you see someone performing and like, all you can see is the tag is out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. perfect. We haven't heard that one yet. Get ready for our rapid fire question round. It's time for four for one. Question number one. If you could pick a theme song that would be the background of the trailer of your life, what song would it be? Okay. Um, fuck. That's a hard one. Sorry. Because I have so many. But I'm going to go with one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkin songs. I have 37 Smashing Pumpkins tattoos. Um. And you said the theme song of the trailer about my life? Yeah. So it's like a trailer of your life. Yeah. This is a hard one. Sorry. I didn't mean to stump you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of what Smashing Pumpkins song to narrow it. Bodies. Okay. Smashing Pumpkins bodies. They have a line called love is suicide. And I have that tattooed on me. And that is what i'm going with okay that was a good one yes all right you nailed it next question if you could go anywhere in space where would you go i would go to saturn because they have rings (laughs) right saturn looks really cool yeah yeah (laughs) that wasn't so bad huh all right here's a good one what would your funeral party look like Um, I would want people to embrace my Eeyore-ness with my Tigger-ness being bipolar. Um, but I would want people just to like, I don't know, I guess remember my random shit. Like I did fuck a male escort on cable television. And I did sue an ex-boyfriend for cheating and won $3,700 in small claims court and wrote a song about it on SoundCloud. Like, 
I like people to remember that type of random shit about me. <laughs> Those are great tidbits. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, last question. You come to a fork in the road. One is paved and level. The other is a dirt road with potholes. Which one do you choose and why? I'm going to choose the paved and leveled road because my entire life has been a road full of potholes. Love it. Yeah. Like, it would be nice to have some smooth sailing and and steady footing. Yeah. So that's what I would choose. Thank you. Thank you for your answers. (laughs) Thank you for the questions. (laughs) You're so welcome. I just want to remind everyone that this is a listener funded podcast and we do appreciate your donations and would love some more, please. And you can donate to us at paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. And all the money goes towards paying guests and paying hosts to do this work and bring these fun, amazing, interesting, sexy shows into your earballs. So one more time, paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. So Monet, will you please tell everyone where we can find you on the socials and hit you up, follow you? Um, my Instagram is Nizneyland, which rhymes with Disneyland. It's N-I-Z-Z-N-E-Y-L-A-N-D. Um, there I post pictures of the hair I do, stuff about shows, stuff about concerts and music memorabilia, because I have a lot of music stuff. Um, my Instagram is a little bit more like people friendly because on my Facebook I get a little bit more political and and call out a bunch of shit. So unless you're ready to hear about that, I don't know about that. But that um, Moha Loves Hair is how you can find me on the book space. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. You guys heard that? Go follow Monet. Get to know Monet. And get to know the randomness. I love your stories. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your stories and your life with us on the show. It's, it's really great to see you hear your voice and to learn more about you. So thank you so much for doing this with me today. And thank you so much for having me. Like I'm, I'm really honored to be here. You're so welcome. Well, that's it for today's show. This is another amazing episode of yes, a stripper podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode has been a production with Period Podcast Network. Find out more on Instagram at Period Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram too at Yes, a Stripper Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Yes, a Stripper Pod. Please like, subscribe, and rate Yes, a Stripper Podcast here on YouTube. See you next week. And that's on period. Network.